Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Do you believe in ghosts? Both believers and non-believers go on ghost tours, guided explorations of purportedly haunted areas that could be houses, businesses, abandoned buildings, or neighborhoods. Dr. Will Langston, a professor of psychology, has been conducting research into ghost tours to examine the relationship between experience and belief. What kind of experience could turn a non-believer into a believer, and how does one know whether the experience is real or imagined? The psychological implications of ghost tours after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. A new MTSU media graduate is out in the wide world with a hefty addition to her resume, a national top 10 finalist win for feature writing in the 2019 Hearst Foundation's Journalism Awards program. Mamie Lomax of Smyrna, a May graduate of the College of Media and Entertainment and a former Lifestyles editor at the student newspaper Sidelines, earned her nod as one of the country's top college journalists with her entry in the personality profile writing category Quotes, passion inspires Murfreesboro man to clean, conserve veterans' headstones, end quote. The profile of Evergreen Cemetery volunteer Jeff Milstead, published in Sidelines in November of 2018 and accompanied by Lomax's photos, is a first-person account of the painstaking work of honoring Murfreesboro-area veterans by maintaining their grave markers. The Hearst Awards, called the Pulitzer Prizes of Collegiate Journalism, are considered the top honors for journalists at accredited U.S. universities. And beloved community stalwart Dr. Liz Ray, often called MTSU's biggest cheerleader, died May 30th at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville following a lengthy illness. She was 85. Ray, a retired radiologist, was perhaps best known for her love of the Blue Raiders, and along with her late husband, Dr. Creighton Ray, her devotion to philanthropic causes in Rutherford County. MTSU Science Building, which opened in 2014, features the Liz and Creighton Ray Atrium as a tribute to the couple's generosity. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Will, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Jenna. Thanks for having me. Why don't we start by talking about the paper you'll have coming out in the Journal of Parapsychology? Uh, what methodology did you use and what conclusions did you reach? Okay, so the basic research question is what kinds of experiences do people have and how do experiences translate into beliefs? And there's been a lot of research into personal experiences, a little research into media experiences like watching television programs. Nobody had looked at whether or not going on a ghost tour would actually influence people's belief in ghosts. And so there is a ghost tour that happens on the square in Murfreesboro every October. We teamed up with the Shadow Chasers ghost team to collect data from people before the tour and after the tour, and then we measured whether or not belief changed, and the results were that the ghost tour did increase belief for people who came in as skeptics. So they were convinced, or considerable numbers of them were convinced by the tours that uh, ghosts are real. Convinced might be too strong a word, but we increased their belief compared to when they came. Okay. They were more inclined uh, to believe than they were when they came. More open to belief. We had hoped to do a three-month follow-up, 
and see if the change actually persisted or if it was just something that happened that night because it's right around Halloween time and there's a lot going on that's that's ghost related. But by the time three months went by, only two people completed our follow-up survey and so we weren't able to do that part. Now, what is on this particular ghost tour, the one in October on the square? So the Shadow Chasers tour is unique amongst ghost tours because it's not just stories and it's not just history. It starts with the history of the location. And then you hear people's testimonials. Oftentimes, if we can, we have videos of the actual testimonial from the person who experienced the thing. And then the Shadow Chasers team has investigated the location. And you also get to see the evidence that was collected. And where do people go exactly? Uh, it's downtown Murfreesboro's 10 Most Haunted. So um, I should just I should clarify that I do research on whether or not people believe in ghosts. Right. In order to get access to the tour goers, we also had to join the Shadow Chasers team and become tour guides. Uh-huh. And um, I do a lot of the work to prepare the tours every year because I really enjoy the ghost tours also as part of this. Um, so separating the ghost tours from the research um, as a, a promoter of the tour I'm saying we as a member of the Shadow Chasers team, but that's not the research component of it, Right. just to be clear. But what are those places that that people go to? So you meet at Big B Cleaners on the square, and then the first stop is is actually Big B. And then we try to do multiple investigations over the course of the year, and we'll flip in and out locations depending on the kind of evidence that we're able to collect to keep it to the 10 most haunted Um, So this year we've got several more investigations forthcoming, but I can tell you last year you got to see the City Cafe. We stopped at the um, Milano 2, which used to be the Front Porch Cafe. Uh, We go to the Center for the Arts. There's a couple of optional stops for tour guides because there's a few that are basically tied and are right near each other. And then you go to Level 3. Altogether, there's 10. I think it ends at the courthouse again this year, but we haven't totally finalized the tour for 2019. Uh, you said you were looking early on at what variables would mediate the relationship between experience and belief. What are those variables? Okay, so jumping back into the research context. Right. The the model that we're working with comes from a clinical psychology perspective, and it was originally developed to explain delusional thinking. And there's a particular version of the model for paranoid delusions that really spells out exactly what the details are. And so that's the basis that we use to organize the research. And there's two stages. You have to get the belief. And then once you have the belief, you have to maintain and update it. So for the getting stage, the first part is why do some people have experiences and some people don't? So two people can have the exact same thing happen. For one person, it's just a thing that happened. It's here and it's gone. For a different person, it's an experience, meaning that it's important. It needs to be explained, and they want to know why this thing happened. And so the first set of variables we look at are variables that would cause one person to experience something as an experience versus just a thing that happened. And then once you've gotten there, some people have an experience, and they say, well, whatever, it's a thing that happened. And some people have an experience, and they turn it into a belief what are the variables that would work for that part? And just as a for instance, if you have a low tolerance for ambiguity, meaning that you need explanations, you may say, and in fact, a lot of our participants say this, I didn't want to believe in ghosts, but this thing happened and there was no other explanation. And if you have a low tolerance for ambiguity and you have to have an explanation, then even if you didn't want a paranormal explanation, that would be 
the one that you would accept because there's nothing else. So looking at people who happen to be very, very dogmatic would be particularly interesting to find out whether or not experience would change their minds, like people of certain religious faiths, for example. Well, there's a lot to unpack in what you just asked. First, the the changing belief part is the second stage of the model, and they're separate stages with different variables that operate. The second stage is much harder to investigate because you actually have to measure where the person is, do an intervention, and then measure them again, and that can be very time-consuming. That's more of a longitudinal study. And that's the harder part, but the more interesting part of the research. So the first thing to unpack is that working on step two, we have less data to work with, but I I do have a few things to say about it. Um, When you talk about religious beliefs in particular, though, our main focus is on where beliefs come from. And um, I can tell you that our research shows that religious experiences are associated with religious belief. Ghost experiences are associated with ghost belief. Some people have both kinds and would then have both beliefs, but there's not a lot of overlap where a religious experience would cause you to be a ghost believer. So that's really the most I can say about religion. There are other beliefs where people hold them very, very strongly. Um, And we're interested in the role that identity plays in whether or not you'll be willing to update your beliefs. So within the context of being a believer, some people would say, oh, yeah, I I believe in ghosts. And you say, well, you know, here's some evidence, which we don't, by the way, we don't try to change anybody's mind on ghost belief. But just as a for instance, you say, you're you're not coming from the hypothesis that ghosts do exist or don't exist. That's not what the research is about. That's right. The ghost team part of it and the part where I hunt ghosts is the part would be about ghosts. The research part is about the belief itself, not the reality of the belief, because if you've had a ghost experience, you have, in fact, experienced a ghost. And it's not my place to tell you that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Right. So you did talk. Go ahead. I'm sorry. uh, But well, for for the changing, it would be identity that would be the variable that we're looking at is mattering. And so we did a study this semester with my students in my research methods class where we asked people if they believed they could detect stares if somebody in a crowd was looking at them from behind that they couldn't see. Could they feel that? And have they ever turned around and experienced that, in fact, somebody was staring at them? And then we add them to a live demonstration. They sat with their backs to each other, and one of them stared or didn't. And then they scored it and found out that, in fact, they could not detect stares. And then we asked them about their belief again, along with a bunch of personality variables. And overall, the only variable that really affected whether or not you would change your mind was your identity as a person who can detect stares. So people who felt very strongly that that's a part of who they are were not willing to change their mind. And people who were casual believers were more willing to change their mind. But there's a lot more to do on that. We'll take a break right here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, WISE Advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer an interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. 
This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about research into ghost tours and how they affect the relationship between experience and belief with Dr. Will Langston, who is a professor of psychology. You mentioned in an email that you sent to me uh, prior to our going on the air something about geek identities and ghost identities. What are those? Well, with the area of geeks, one of my students, Iska Frosch, was very interested in how people come to identify as a geek in particular. And she worked with an organization that put on an expo in Franklin every year. And she said, we should think of a way to incorporate this into the research. And we didn't at the time have a lot of ideas about it, but we collected data from the Geek Media Expo and data from the ghost tours that year to see if we could get if we ask similar questions, do you, do you identify as a geek and, and what is your identity there? And the, do you identify as a ghost believer to see if we could get some handle on what identity might be? Because it, it's different to say you believe in ghosts versus it be a part of your identity. And mm-hmm. with geeks, there's some recent research showing that it's actually more who you are than just a hobby. And so we thought that might be a good lever to try to understand identity with other areas like ghosts and things. Now, geek in this context, does that mean someone who is totally into whatever they happen to be into? I mean, back in the day, it used to mean people who suffered from birth defects who were put on display in circuses and that kind of thing. But in, in this context, geek would be defined as what? It's, it's typically the, um, the difference between, say, a nerd and a geek. And this is actually in the the literature on this and the in the scientific literature. Mm-hmm. Nerds are interested in a wide array of things. Geeks are interested in a particular thing at a very, very deep level right. is usually the distinction. So somebody who is very, very into a particular, say, Marvel Comics universe mm-hmm. and knows everything about that thing would be more of a geek. And then somebody with a broad range of interests across many areas would be more of a nerd. Although there's not really a scientific definition of the distinction there. That's just kind mm-hmm. of the rough way people think about it. But somebody who self-identifies as a geek does not see that term as a as a pejorative term. Absolutely not. It's called the Geek Media Expo, and um, thousands of people go to it every year mm-hmm. to experience the Geek Media Expo as part of their identity. In fact, um, when we asked them at that event, I think out of the 200 or so that we surveyed, only one said, I do not self-identify as a geek. Mm-hmm. And that was literally what we asked them. We've seen how some people cling to beliefs that can't be confirmed or denied by the scientific method in uh, everyday society, apart from studies of ghost tours, uh, climate change being one example. Why do people, some people reject scientific evidence and choose to believe in the existence of things unseen? Yeah, that is a good question. And, um, <laughs> More complicated than the 30 minutes we have here, right? Ultimately, that's one of the questions that we would have. And I think the short answer, and this is um, going a little bit beyond the literal data that we have available at the moment, is that believing in science is more complicated than some idea that science is this pure method of uncovering truth and everything else is false. Science itself has incorporated in it elements of belief. So, um, for instance, evidence is only evidence for a hypothesis with a belief system that links those two things together. Mm -hmm. 
And two people with the same evidence might find it to be in favor of different hypotheses based on those extra parts that are not part of the actual data. And so a person who's not a scientist could see that. And if I say to you, well, science is the ultimate answer, how can you deny science? They would reasonably say even scientists disagree on how to interpret these data. And so it doesn't give science some automatic pass as the correct answer to things. So that would be part of it. What do you think about people who try to prove or disprove the existence of ghosts with scientific devices, infrared this, ultraviolet that, whatever types of things they use? I want to walk very carefully here because I do a lot of ghost hunting and we do spend mm-hmm. a lot of time using devices. But in principle, if you take a very Popperian view of what the definition of science is, which is risky prediction, that you you relatively quickly inform yourself with a hypothesis. So one example creates a hypothesis in your mind, but then your goal in science is to do everything you can to prove that hypothesis false. Most of the people hunting ghosts do the first step, find a piece of evidence and infer that it's a ghost, and that's the end of it. And that's not very scientific. Um, the, The reason I like the team I'm on is it can be really frustrating to be around us, but The people on that team believe in ghosts, but they do not accept evidence without a whole lot of extra testing. So we were at Brushy Mountain State Prison two weeks ago doing an all-night hunt, and there was a door slamming. And so we went and verified that you could correlate that with the wind blowing, and it wasn't supernatural. There was a time when we saw something on the FLIR in a cell. We were not able to identify any contamination for that one, and so that has more credibility than one where we could. The effort is always made to disprove as hard as possible before you put something on the list. You, I was going to ask you about Brushy Mountain State Prison because uh, numerous notorious people have been incarcerated there, including James Earl Ray, the convicted killer of Martin Luther King. Uh, and I was going to ask you what that experience was like. You could feel that it was a bad place, and it it doesn't require ghost equipment to go into a place like that and know that a lot of bad things happen. But partly, they take you on a tour, and they tell you about a lot of the awful things that happened there. And so it would be very hard to stay completely neutral in a place like that. When you go in what used to be the hole, and you can see people having carved on the wall messages and uh, counting down the days that they've been in there, and you know that they've in some cases were undergoing some pretty extensive torture. And then in other cases, they've just been closed off from human contact and from light for many, many days. It can feel very oppressive, even in the absence of ghost equipment. Yeah. And did, did anybody feel the presence of anybody, a, a, a prisoner or guard or anybody? We haven't been through all the evidence yet, but we do have a couple of EVPs, and at least one team member definitely experienced something that they felt was a a presence there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Going back to uh, the ghost tours uh, on the square in Murfreesboro in October, are you going to continue being a part of those uh, for the purposes of collecting research material? To be honest, at this point, I'll continue being a part of them because I enjoy it. Really? But also for the purposes of research. Um, we have – it's a useful laboratory because the the psychology research pool at MTSU is mostly students. The average age is 19. Mm-hmm. They believe in ghosts at about the same rate as the people on the tours, but the level of experience is far lower. 
And for our research, we need people who not only believe in ghosts, but who've had a personal experience as a part of it. And so it's, it's much more useful to have that population available. Well, how would you describe your experience in working with these students? Uh, mostly with the students, it's survey research, and there's mm-hmm. very little interaction, to oh, be honest. I so. see. So it's more about just letting them do their work more or less autonomously and you overseeing it? That's correct. In fact, a lot of times we try to do the research online for the, the student population portion of it, so we don't interact with them at all. Mm-hmm. Does psychology as an academic discipline take parapsychology seriously? Or is there still some sort of... Uh, academic schism there in terms of respect for each other? So my bias is that the understanding of the things that we study in the parapsychology area is obviously very important for understanding psychology. And I think there are more people who recognize that, but there's still an attitude that if you believe in the paranormal, you must have a personality defect or a reasoning problem or something that makes you different from other people. And A lot of the articles that are published are things like paranormal believers are bad at type 2 reasoning, which is the more advanced deep thinking as opposed to gut level intuition. And my my bias in this came about when I was working on my textbook in research methods that was all the examples are focused on paranormal and pseudoscientific claims. And it, it seemed like the literature was very harsh, but when you looked harder at the data, the people didn't actually support those assertions. So there might be a small correlation, but the majority of the participants didn't show any pattern. And, and so you can't say paranormal believers are automatically this or that. Mm-hmm. It's a constellation of things that might make you more open mm-hmm. to a particular belief, but it does not mean anything special, except it's interesting how mm-hmm. your brain is a big correlation machine and the implications that has for how you think and reason and act. If you could understand how people come to believe in ghosts and how they maintain that belief. There might be useful information that could translate into understanding other forms of belief that could have more consequential outcomes for people. Time for another break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the Record. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERRA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. Terra wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to Terra, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Dr. Will Langston is our guest. He's a professor of psychology, and we're talking about his research into ghost tours to find out how experience and belief are uh, intertwined. Uh, what sorts of additional studies do you think your research could be a good jumping-off point for other academics to conduct research insofar as related areas are concerned? Trying not to be humble in answering a question like this. Um, <laughs> I feel like I should be very cautious, but I think 
clinical psychology in particular has, has shown some interest in this type of research. As I told you, our model comes from clinical psychology. There, there's a recognition that some of these variables are dimensional, that if you're a clinician and you work in a clinic, you see people who are having problems because of these things. But the people who have similar profiles but don't have problems don't show up. And so for a long time, clinicians thought if you are a paranormal believer, for instance, you might have schizotypal personality traits that are negative and harmful to you. And what we're hoping to show people is that, in fact, it's dimensional. So there's a positive end and a negative end. And I always tell people it's good to be schizotypal, which in, in the variable that we measure is about pattern finding and data. Because if you're an experimental psychologist and you're looking at a big spreadsheet, schizotypy could be hugely beneficial in recognizing a pattern in those data. So I think that would be one of my main goals would be to, to sort of normalize the human experience and stop saying that people who've literally experienced a thing, whether you believe it's real or not, are somehow defective because they've experienced that thing. We're not supposed to just dismiss something stereotypically, especially not in academia. And that would be the one of the worst sins you could commit, wouldn't it? It would. And I, I have I've, – I've, not totally sure how to use this without coming off as a really terrible person, but I collect examples at conferences of people whose posters say the hypothesis was not supported, but we believe it anyway. Because if scientists say that, you don't get to hold yourself above ordinary people and say, oh, well, scientists think better than ordinary people. You, you yourself can't give up a cherished hypothesis in the face of data because it's more complicated than that. But I don't see you as being, you know, haughty or anything less than humble because you wouldn't investigate it if you didn't think it was worth investigating. You wouldn't attempt to go into it with an open mind, and you wouldn't jump to the conclusion that there are ghosts or they aren't ghosts or, you know, it's all a bunch of hooey or it's all all too real, you know. Uh, so I don't I don't know how you can think of yourself as an egomaniac here or like you're coming off as one. It's uh, it's important not to think that because I've collected the data I have that that's the only word available on a particular subject matter. Other people's points of view are informed by data as well. I just think they're wrong. If people want to know more about uh, ghost tours and the kind of research that you're conducting into them, uh, how do they get in touch? You can look up the Shadow Chasers on Facebook and come on our tours. You, I think it's shadowchasersmidtn.org is our webpage. And if you do Shadow Chasers Middle Tennessee on Facebook, you should be able to find our page. Okay. Dr. Will Langston, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. The Middle Tennessee State University Women's Studies Research Series features compelling monthly talks on gender-related topics by faculty and graduate students. The series offers a chance to learn about research in progress and to chat with faculty in an informal setting. All lectures are free and open to the public and are held on the MTSU campus. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. 
MTSU's Asian Student Association was elated to accept a $6,000 gift from the local Buddhist temple during the recent Lao New Year celebration. 35 members of the student group volunteered at the three-day event, which drew an estimated 10,000 visitors. The donated funds will be used to support the student organization's efforts to celebrate and raise awareness about Asian culture. Here's MTSU Junior and Asian Student Association President Sophia Luangrath. With the donation, I'm hoping um, it would get a lot of the students hyped up about what we're doing as an Asian club and also the community involved as well. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.